0: Pivoting away from the founding idea is real heresy. It's founder heresy because it's different what the founders want. And so one way of doing it is the loudest voice in the room, all that kind of stuff. But we found the most effective way is data, actual customer data. The way that by documenting, it's a way of just really making data-driven decisions faster.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Tehi Nam. Tehi is the co-founder and managing director of Storm Ventures, a venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. He's also the author of the book titled Survival to Thrival, Building the Enterprise a Startup. In our conversation, we're talking about a sort of open-source resource guide for entrepreneurs that Tehi has launched, called Unlock, and it's where entrepreneurs and their team can share their experiences and learn from each other about how to scale and unlock growth. We dive into the whole area of go-to-market and a newer concept Tahit talks about called go-to-market fit. And Tahit says the problem is that companies find product-market fit but don't scale because there's a missing link between product-market fit and accelerated growth for the enterprise during the startup journey. So we dig into what that missing link is, which is basically how to align your product market fit with a go-to-market motion that repeats and scales to find and win customers over and over again. We also explore Tehi's four steps to find go-to-market fit, starting with how to catch the wave and nail the customer journey. So we get into this and much, much more, but before we get to Tehi, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it, and if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. We'd really appreciate it. So, thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Tahi welcome to the show. Thank you very
0: much for the invitation. I'm really excited to participate.
1: So, tell folks about what you, a bit about what you do.
0: Yes, uh, I'm a, um, one of the founding partners of Storm Ventures. We're on our seventh fund. We've invested in almost uh, 200 early-stage B2B software companies. And uh, our job is to help these companies uh, become successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us some of the names of companies you invested in. Sure. Uh, We've been
0: fortunate, uh, um, you know, despite the problems of COVID, it's really accelerated to digital acceleration. And so some of the unicorns include companies like Marketo. I was on the board of Marketo for 10 years. You know, we were an early investor in TalkDesk, Algolia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pipe Drive, Warcato, uh Solaris Bank in Germany, uh, Splashtop, um, and, and, and others that you sure. know have, have worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a pretty good track record. Um, so you've launched a new resource to help early stage entrepreneurs, uh, people who are in scaling mode. So tell us a little bit about that. It's called Unlock.
0: Yes. So actually, it's just before scaling. Okay. And the, the challenge that we have, you know, as I mentioned, we've invested in uh, like nearly 200 B2B software companies is that what we see is that if our investments unlock growth, we generally do well. And if they don't unlock growth, they we generally have a problem. <laughs> And, and so we uh, uh, have spent a lot of time working with our companies to help them f- unlock growth. And the common perception was, is that if you find product market fit, like 10 to 20 happy customers, mm-hmm. and then just invest in sales and marketing to scale, that you will just grow. And we found is that if you do that, most of our uh, efforts failed. And what we needed is, is that uh, after finding product market fit, is to find go to market fit, that repeatable growth formula. That once that works, then you can then replicate it and scale that. And so it's about finding that go to market fit.
1: So you talk about okay, they find ten uh, typically. You know, if your investment or us, some other startup found those first, you know, sort of anchor customers, ten to twenty customers. Mm-hmm. And then applied sales and marketing dollars to it. Is the implication is that they weren't going about it in a, such a way that it, you know, creating repeatable processes, or what? What's the part that was missing?
0: That's a great question, and uh, uh, it could be that it's a founder-led sales process. Okay. And, and so it's you know you just can't clone founders you know no. the the passion the the credibility and everything so it could be that you just can't clone founders as one or it could be that uh, uh, you know they found 10 or or 20 happy customers but what you do is you can then grow linearly by adding one to two to three per quarter mm-hmm. but you know you want to add like 5 10 20 40 right. you know grow exponentially
1: so yeah, basically what you're saying is then if they're doing just the two, three sort of linear, it's, it's they know what they're doing, but it's a handful of people that have this expertise and they can sort of go out and do it, but they haven't learned how to. It's just not unlocking growth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so that's why um, what we see, the common perception is, you know, you you found a company, get product market fit, scale, and become the category leader. And what we've imposed in between product market fit and scaling is this concept of, you know, you need to find go-to-market fit, that repeatable growth formula to unlock growth. Uh, that's what we talked about in our first book uh, several years ago, and the feedback mm-hmm. we got from the audience is okay. I get the concept. Like, it took a while, but they said they get the concept, and uh, they like the term. You know, that's why we coined the term "go to market fit" yep. in in the first book a few years ago. And then they go, "Well, how do we find it?" Right. And, and so that's what we uh, released on this website. It, for free, is a uh, 100 pages basically on
1: how to find go-to-market fit. Well, so let's go back and talk about go-to-market for a second, because there's a lot of mm-hmm. writing and talk going on about go-to-market right now. And there seems to be, I think, and certainly I hear this from people, some confusion about what go-to-market is. Uh, Some people think it's very simply, (laughs) some people think it's it's our initial product launch, is go-to-market. Other people have more nuanced definitions. I just had Sangram Vadri on the show talking about his new book about go-to-market, which I thought was interesting. He says, you know, go-to-market process is what connects your company strategy to your company outcomes, um, which I thought was an interesting definition in terms of, you know, how do you Mm combine the efforts of your high-performing revenue teams, your marketing sales success to deliver this connected customer experience? Well,
0: absolutely. I mean, go-to-market is fundamentally a cross-functional exercise. It's not just mm-hmm. for sales, not just for marketing uh, or customer success. And, uh, uh, you, you know, you need to connect the dots to make it uh, a true cross-functional exercise. But the way I look at uh, uh, go-to-market fit is simply is
1: what do you need to do to unlock growth? Hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, I would, <laughs> to your point, a lot of companies say, "Well, yeah, just hire more salespeople and spend right. more." Right. And that's right. that seems to be the problem. So you said there's this missing link between yes, go to
0: that you know it's finding go to market fit, and so so now let's step back and say, sure. okay, I think we all agree now that unlocking growth is a critical value creation milestone and a critical stage in the journey of a company.
1: Yeah, and I, and, and I would okay. add to that, based on what you're talking about too, is it's the difference between, uh, yeah, you said linear growth sort of growing and exponential growth. Right, right.
0: Okay, so now Uh, Because I I find it's really important to first make sure we all are speaking the same language, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, having the same framework and the same vocabulary, and then we can go to the, the next step. Right. Okay. Okay. So we're focusing now on unlocking growth. And, you know, after you sort of have product market fit and, you know, you're getting ready to scale and so forth. And
1: uh, Let's go back one step, though. So let's just make sure, so make sure people understand product market fit too. So, because yep. we've been throwing that out, so define that for folks as well.
0: Uh, I look at product market fit as simply you've got happy customers. Now. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. If you look for metrics, there are two metrics that I look for. But the first, the concept is happy customers. Right. The the metrics is one is uh, um, uh, you see uh, uh, a financial metric, which is uh, low churn. Mm-hmm. So the gross churn is low. So in other words, your customers stick with you, right? If they're yeah. happy, they should stick with you. Right. And, and so I find the gross churn rate to be a good metric for product market fit. The problem with gross churn is that's a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator. Mm-hmm. And so the best leading indicator is some sort of critical usage metric. And uh, Mark Roberts, uh, the co-founder of HubSpot, has really talked well about you know f- making sure you find the critical usage metric mm-hmm. uh, for your product to make sure you have product market fit. Got it. Okay. And that's- so that's product market fit. So now and- let's talk about go to market fit sure. and sort of sure. how to find it. Okay. Um, so the first thing I found is, is that uh, for people that have never experienced high growth before is you need to give people sort of an intuitive feel of what it feels like. Okay. And so the metaphor we came up with is uh, uh, surfing. It's like going from paddling to surfing. Mm -hmm. So when you're paddling, you're burning a lot of energy to go a short distance, right? Right. And that's what a company without go-to-market fit feels like. You burn a lot of cash for low growth. Right. And once you catch that wave, you go from paddling to surfing, all of a sudden you feel that momentum. You know, the wave is carrying you. You're going very far for relatively low amount of energy burn. Right. um, And so forth. So the idea is how do you go from paddling to surfing? And we found that, uh, and and I think it reflects me, is that I I tend to be over-intellectualizing. So we needed some sort of like a a, a simple image. And so on our new website, we updated with uh, an image, uh, a surfing unicorn. Yeah, yeah, right. And and I found now that people are more excited, and I get more comments on the surfing unicorn that we call Stormy than the 100 pages that we've written on exactly how to find go to market fit and improve it and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I have to imagine. Tell you, admit, I was looking at that, and it, was, it didn't really strike me as like, oh, yeah, that's a unicorn. Now I'm going back and looking at it, it's like, yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> the people
0: like the surfing unicorn, you know, I'm just saying that has a, a, a bigger impact.
1: So, which one of you is the surfer, you or your co author?
0: Well, actually, it's my co founder at Storm, Ryan Floyd, who loves to surf. Got it. Okay. Know, I, I tried surfing. Uh, he and it's just uh, I, I'm um, incompetent in the water. But uh, Ryan surfs like two to
1: three times a week. Yeah. I, well, I thought it was a, a good a good metaphor because yeah, I'm not a. I surfed <laughs> one time I think uh, a number of years ago. But remember the first time I caught a wave. What struck me was like. Damn, I'm going fast. <laughs> and I was wow. like, if you have that feeling, and I've been in high growth startups, is like, yeah, when you get that feeling, when you're sort of, I don't want to call it effortless, but it it is a little scary.
0: Yeah, and it feels different, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. That's what we wanted to do was first is to give people a feeling what it is, okay? Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: actually then go into the specifics on how to do it. And so, uh, you know, because we work with so many companies and we're so motivated in helping them unlock growth, what we found that works with our portfolio companies is a four-step process. And going back to surfing, what it is is you got to catch the wave, Mm -hmm. you got to have the right surfboard. You got to then ride the wave, and then you have to improve your ride with metrics. Right, And, and that's what Ryan taught me. He sent me a couple of YouTube videos, you know, an Amazon book, all this on surfing, and so then to translate it into a startup, you know, catching the wave is really about the wave is the customer journey. By the way. Mm-hmm. So the wave is the customer journey, and the way you catch that customer journey is to address an urgent pain.
1: Yeah, that, I, I want to dig into that in just a second. But before you go there, I mean, you said you have, uh, you wrote that when you have go-to-market fit, you have a yes answer to two questions. So one is, and I want to explore those. One is, do you feel customers pull you in? Yes. And the other is, do you have a one-page? Playbook for repeatable wins. Yeah. So, yes. First one. So, what do you explain what you mean by do you feel customers pull you in? You're getting a lot of
0: leads. Okay. You know, customers are contacting you, you know, or when you have a meeting, you can tell that they're excited, that they're now pulling in their colleagues for a second meeting. Okay. All right. And uh, it's a difference between pushing, you know, forcing <laughs> yourself versus, you know, They go there once they hear about what they either find you, or once they hear about you, they invite their colleagues. uh, Or uh, these are the kind of metrics I look for. In other words, the first is uh, you know it's inbound basically, right? right? Customers finding you—that's inbound. The second is is you meet with them and they immediately invite a colleague, Mm -hmm. you know. So they're trying to build internal consensus. Right. Or they meet with you and they immediately say, can I try it? Right. Or so. So basically what I'm looking at is that you can see this sort of very aggressive customer behavior. That's sort of driving to the next step of the customer journey rather than my trying to sort of say, let me sort of talk about this for twenty, you know, give you twenty slides. Try to force a second meeting, a right. third meeting. You know, exactly. The difference in paddling and
1: catching a wave. And catching the wave, and then your one-page repeatable, your pay, excuse me, one-page playbook for repeatable wins. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. Is but it's to have go-to-market fit. You have to know why you win or why you lose.
0: That's true. But the, the reason why we say it's one page is uh, um, very few people, including myself, can really read more than like one, uh, can understand more than one or two pages. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to create a repeatable and scalable process, you, you need that your playbook on one page, yeah. or two pages, so that then you have something that's repeatable and scalable. So when you hire new people, they know exactly what needs to get done. Okay. So what we found is, is that uh, founders don't need that one-page playbook or 2 pages. Right? Yeah, founder yeah. I mean, the, and I've seen this with founders, and they're amazing at it. They know the product yeah. so well. They understand the different kind of use cases, and they just sort of ad-lib You know, it's like watching a great Mm -hmm. NFL quarterback sort of going to the line and depending upon how the defense is playing, all the things, it's like, you know, changing the play on the
1: fly, okay? Yeah, but at the same time, though, you talk about one of the dangers of sort of the founder-led sales is, you you use the term founder heresy, which I thought was a, a great thing, is that that sometimes they get too embedded in the yes. perspectives of what the product yes. should be doing, yes. is that yes. that they're not as nimble and as adaptable in the moment as they need to be. Or, or what they do is,
0: yes, or they you need to find something that's repeatable and scalable.
1: Yeah, but the, I think you run into this, you talk about this, you get into this resistance from the founders yes. saying, yes, is that They think, hey, there's one way I built this product to do this. Yeah, there's
0: a founding idea, right? Yeah. And that's why they're the founder. They have a founding idea. Yeah. And they find that, oh, well, maybe that's not the sweet spot, right? Exactly. And and that is definitely founder heresy, yes. And most companies turn out they need to, the sweet spot or what we call the urgent pain is not the original founding idea.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that because I, I and again, I've worked a number of startups myself and high growth companies. It's like I've never really, th- and I still don't. This is just sort of a this is more a philosophical question more than a practical question. But is is I've never really found pain to be sort of the the sort of the framing that that really works. Um, and sort of to me, it's more what I want to do is I want to find out what's the most important thing for the buyer at that point in time. Um, Because oftentimes I found, you know, I was going with products that they didn't really know they could associate with the pain they had.
0: Yeah, so what is the most important thing that they have? And that's why the phrase that I like using is not pain, but urgent pain. It's not any pain. It's a really urgent pain. Something they feel they have to address right now. Is it something not that we're- six months from now. Not Wait. twelve months from now. But right
1: now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if I said philosophically, I look at it as what the, what's urgent is they have something they want to achieve or uh, have I- to achieve right now. Right, and to me, that's not always necessary. And this is—I don't want to get too semantic. It's—you it's, know—to it's, me, it's not really a pain. It's—you know—people invest more from wanting to achieve something than ameliorate a pain. But anyway, that's just yeah. Amazing.
0: What, and, and that's why um, uh, we in the—I I look at it, it. I guess we know we we put in the context of how do you get your very first customer? Yeah you know, uh, um, a customer that, because, you know, no one logically should be the first customer, right? Your very first customer. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, suppose like I needed a heart transplant. Do you want to be this young doctor's very first customer?
1: Somebody was, but yes,
0: right. Yeah, I mean, you know, no matter how brilliant that doctor is and whether the person is going to win the Nobel Prize, most patients typically don't want to be that doctor's very first customer. You want to be like the 100th patient, right? So yeah. that the doctor knows exactly what to do and, you know, bing, bing, it just works, right? So being the first patient or being the first customer is generally not a natural act. And so, you know, we've interviewed uh, customers that like being first customers, and generally, it comes down to is sort of three things: is that it addresses an urgent pain, so they Mm -hmm. have no choice; they got to do something right now. Mm -hmm. The second, it goes back to your point, is is that uh, it provides an opportunity where they can become a hero. Mm -hmm. You know, get Mm -hmm. promoted, get something, accomplish something big. So, you know, it has that strategic possibility. Right. And the third is, is that they believe in the founder. So, because, you know, they're betting on, you know, it's like being the doctor, you know, the patient, you're, you believe in that doctor, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of those three things. Um, uh, If you have it, then you can get your very first customer that way. Otherwise, I would say 99% of the customers want to
1: be the hundredth customer. <laughs> yeah that's true. that's true. I mean yeah the founders that level of trust in a founder or the founding team is is very important that but you need that urgent pain coupled
0: yep. with that strategic uh 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 you know possibility
1: outcome yeah, and what I found is and again not put too fine a point out is that you know, when I was out trying to get that first customer oftentimes. The buyer, I said, had no idea that they could accomplish what they could because right. there was no product out there like that. Right. And right. so that's why I said it wasn't really, for me, it wasn't really a pain as much as like suddenly, oh, wow, the impact of doing this, this would be pretty substantial. Maybe to mm-hmm. your hero point and also the company moving forward, achieving something that's important to them. Yes. Um, yes. You hit them at the right time. Yeah, they want to do it. It's urgent. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you talk, I'm gonna go back to founder heresy a little bit, because I thought this was really interesting, because you know, so much of what you read is about and you know, focus, 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 yeah, uh, niching down, yes. niching down, niching down. But but you also talk about the importance, which I, I believe 100 percent is you need to be able to test the adjacencies to sort of yes. your founding vision. And so tell us about that.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to uh, the surfing metaphors that you gotta catch the wave. Mm-hmm. And so uh, catching the wave might mean paddling to a different spot in the in the ocean, right? And and so th- that's what we're saying is that you know you you go to your founding idea because that's what founders do, and then you look around to
1: see where is the urgent pain so you can catch that wave. hmm And to the point that you make and what you're writing, which I think is for me is a critical point is is yeah, it may not be right in that spot where you thought it's, it's, you have to have it's mostly control. not in that spot. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you, and I've seen people get handcuffed because, you know, yeah. they've been trained, they read material online, yes. everything, like, you know, focus, 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 niche down, niche down, niche down. Yes. Which at heart is basically pretty good advice, but not to have the to point where you have blinders on.
0: That's right. Until you find that urgent pain, it's better yeah. to cast a wider net. Yeah. And look I mean. around you. Once you catch that urgent
1: pain, then it's different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good, yeah, I love that. That Also, like the point you talked about, and again, we're still in step one, but I sort of got carried away with that because I thought it was such a good one, Was was the importance of documenting data. So when you have this experience out talking to customers, is at some point you have to no, at all times you have to document, but then at some point you have to get together and say, "Okay, uh, let's deconstruct this, right?" Let's let's. Right. Why are we winning? Why are we losing? You talk about getting everybody in the room and working through all the deals you've worked on as a way to sort of fight through the biases and really understanding what what works and what doesn't.
0: Absolutely, because you know, and that's why we call the founder heresy. So <laughs> pivoting away from the founding idea is real heresy. And you know, it's founder heresy because it's different what the founders want. And so, one way of doing it is you know the loudest room, loudest voice in the room, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But we found the most effective way is data, you know, actual customer data. And the the way that by documenting, it's a way of just really making data driven decisions faster.
1: Right. Well, it's such a simple step. This thing that that sort of baffles me is is because work with a number of companies, that they found this really difficult. And it's such an easy step to, to document what's working and what's not. And get everybody together and start unifying around what is.
0: And I agree. But, you know, people are, including myself, are fundamentally lazy.
1: <laughs> True. True. But also, if it's not working, you got to change it.
0: I know, but we're just, at least I I know myself, you know, tend to procrastinate, tend to be lazy, and you know, documentation is just work. But believe (sighs) me, I force myself
1: to do it, yes. Yeah. Well, I think you even take it down to the individual level, you know, when you advise sales leaders and sellers, individual sellers, it's like, you have the requirement there to understand what works for you and what doesn't work for you and 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 how you implement the process. Yes. And this lack of self-awareness, yeah, just leads you down a rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And that's why so then you also further right about having to make tough choices because you can identify these adjacencies, but not all of them are created equal. That's right.
0: Because as a startup, you can't do everything. And that's where focusing on the right use case becomes so important. So that's why we're saying is, you know, find the urgent pain and the urgent pain uh, is tied to that use case. And then that becomes then where a rallying point for the entire company. And going back to your prior podcast person, of then you know, how you can have the entire company rally around that urgent pain.
1: Well, you make a key point. In what you wrote, which I want to surface, which is that it's about finding urgency versus creating urgency. Yes, so there's, absolutely. There's this prevailing myth in sales that we create urgency, which I yeah, I, I would say it's. I'm not sure if it's about myth in sales or a myth amongst
0: founders about sales.
1: Okay, well that could be right. <laughs> well, actually, now There's a lot of lot of you know, authors would have you believe that sellers create okay. okay. urgency, and it's it's. It's a myth, um, yeah. and so you have to find it versus create it, which I think is, is so yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah, people get, and the the way you do it is yeah, as you talked about before, is, is experiment, test. Yeah, paddle around. You know, look. Yeah. 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 Um, so I want to talk then also about the customer journey, because, again, you another great point in <laughs> step one, which I didn't get much beyond because there's so many things I was taking notes on, is is, and this is, I think, a fundamental issue in selling these days, B2B selling, is that you said startups need to look at the customer journey through the lens of the customer, not the sales rep. And you know, that the customer journey stages are not the same as as your forecasting stages or your sales process stages. But invariably, if you were to ask, and I imagine most of the companies that you invest in, if you ask to look at their sales stages, they don't map to the customer journey. They map to their, you know, their sales stages in Salesforce. Yeah, unfortunately,
0: that's how CRM was sort of set up and uh, training in that. And so, uh, but it, it's really, Important to look at it from the customer, figure out the customer journey stages, and then map your go-to-market strategy. You know whether it's product-led growth, sales-led growth, marketing-led growth. On top of that,
1: yeah. But I'm asking you as an investor, and you know, and you see mm-hmm. so many companies is. And I, I, to me, it's it's one of the reasons that sales is still having so many problems and we still see companies plagued by low win rates and so on is that their outlook on what they're trying to accomplish is through the sales lens as opposed to... I agree buyer. with you, yes. And so it's like, why... Well, <laughs> I mean, Salesforce, you can set the stages to be whatever you want. It's, it's like, why not just have one set of stages that the buyer and the seller identify as the same?
0: You know... Uh... That's what I like, uh, and I like to do. However, I just find that uh, salespeople don't always think that way. What's well, a leadership so, issue. But yeah, so it's important is for the leaders, the CROs, the VP of sales, and the CEO, CFO to understand that, and they can translate it appropriately at the
1: the top level. Yeah, because the ten steps that. You've laid out in the buyer customer journey, excuse me, uh, you know, all the way through renewal and expansion. Are by and large, you've laid out sort of a a buyer focused uh, approach. It's it's I think what if, if sellers when sellers don't do that, what happens? It leads them into behaviors that don't help them win deals. I, I agree f- with you. I, fund- I, I fundamentally don't understand what the buyer's doing. I, I,
0: I agree with you, and that's why uh, we wrote it down and provided examples and actually interviewed customers and then shared their perspective.
1: Yeah, because I've always been sort of amazed. And you know, Go back to Gartner in fall 2019 or 2018. 2019, I guess, released their their buyer enablement study, and they showed that there are four stages in the buyer, basically in the buyer journey. You know, problem identification, solution exploration, finalized requirements, and select vendor. And yet, I've, I've yet to come across a sales organization that sort of said, oh, let's embed that into our process. So this is the way we look at it as well. Right. And I, I
0: would look at that journey and say it's quite deficient. Because buyers at the end are looking about success for them. Yeah. And the Gartner four stages doesn't really result in success for the buyer, the champion.
1: Oh, really? So, why, why do you think so?
0: Because it should be on how to get the champion promoted or he become a hero. Yeah. And so, trying to understand what are the, the milestones, the metrics that would result in the champion getting promoted, becoming a hero. Huh. Yeah, I
1: don't look at it. So I,
0: I look at the customer yeah. journey as I know there's the we broke down ten steps in a detail, but fundamentally we look at the customer journey as the wave. You know, you wanna mm-hmm. like just going back to surfing surf right. the wave. Right. The beginning of the wave is to uh, identify that urgent pain. Right. And the end of the wave is making your champion a hero. Right. Well, okay. So here's... <laughs> not here. just closing the deal, you know? Absolutely. Or not just onboarding. It's making the champion into a, a hero. Lots of, lots of questions raised, rose from that. Is, yeah, is there only one champion? There could be multiple champions. I agree. But I mean, I'm just saying um, conceptually is that if yeah. you start by looking at the journey, uh, there's the beginning point of the journey and the end point of the journey. And then in the middle, there's a, a, a critical step in this journey. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, uh, first value. When the customer right. gets first value. Yep. So I look at that as like in this journey, the, the three things is, you know, the urgent pain, first mm-hmm. value, and then making your champion or champions into heroes. Right. Yeah, no, I and, and becoming a hero is tied to it. Become the product becoming strategic, all that kind of stuff. What you outlined yeah. in the beginning, yes.
1: Yeah. Well, and to that point, is and I was wondering about that. Is not all products? I was wondering if there's a different term other than strategic that that you can use because not all products, but nature are strategic. You know, but they're they're worthwhile.
0: They could become strategic. You know, there's usually a a, a roadmap that it could become strategic, hopefully, and and, uh, and as a result, make your champion into or champions into heroes.
1: Yeah, perhaps within the sphere that they're they're responsible for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and I mean, there are different degrees, but Andy, what I'm trying to do is sort of provide a a, a framework might- as well, and you know. And so, just can, I can ask people when they say, you know, I'm looking at the customer journey and say they have mm-hmm. it. I, I sort of ask, well, do you have an urgent pain? And if they can't articulate an urgent pain in five, in you know, two minutes, that's a problem.
1: That's a problem, right? And
0: then say, well, and then uh, how are you going to make your champion into a hero? And if they don't have an answer to that, then you know that this is, you know, could be a throwaway kind of product, right. you know. At least the customer will think of it that way.
1: That's true. That's true. Well, and so a question about the, and this is something I see come up quite a bit, and, and is that we talk about, hey, explain in two minutes uh, about, about the urgent pain. Is that one, one issue I see that more often than not is tripping up companies that do a poor job of messaging? What it is they do, yes. And so speak to that because I imagine you come across that quite a bit with quite the companies, Houston. Yes. And so how did, how do they work through that? Because this is it. Certainly, it hurts sellers. Or, you know the, the customer is a little confused. I'm not really sure. You know, does this aligning with something that's you know important or urgent for them? So how do you how do you help with that? I find that. Um this
0: methodology that we just went through is, mm-hmm. you know, let's first try to understand the customer journey. Mm-hmm. What's the urge and pain? How could you make your customer, your champion into a hero? And as we <clears throat> talk about those things, you can crystallize it into the message. Cause you want the message to help, customers understand that you're addressing an urgent pain and you will help make them become a hero. That yeah, seems so simple.
1: <laughs> and it does, it does seem simple, but it's, it's, it's so elusive.
0: Yeah. And, and that's why I, I start with, you know, people talk about like product led growth sales, you know, there's all these things about messaging or there's so much uh, uh, about go to market uh, strategies, execution, all that kind of stuff that are very important tactically. Mm-hmm. But what I've found is, is that you need a foundation for it. Right. Otherwise, it's like having the best tool but applying it the wrong way. And so understanding your customer journey is the foundation that you can then build your entire go-to-market motion and everything. Right. And the key elements of that customer journey are the urgent pain, first value, and yep. uh, making them a hero.
1: Yeah, I, and yeah, making a hero. I'm sorry. Of the flip side to that is is which drives a lot of decisions is making a hero by mitigating risk to them. So yeah, mitigating risk, making it strategic.
0: You know, hitting these kind of things. What it does, uh, Andy is. Doing it this way just forces the conversation in a certain manner, and you start getting the uh, the answers that then results in the right go to market decisions mm-hmm. and actions.
1: Excellent. Last thing I want to bring up about Unlock is is and I love going through it and be going back to it again is is it sounds like from listening to you on your podcast that that uh, sort of a open source yes right I mean yes. it's. Basically, it's free. You just enter email.
0: Yes, uh, and what we want is actually to be like the go-to-market Wikipedia, that right. uh, uh, people can, you know, add their stories, ask questions, you know, get other people in the audience to add, ask, and provide answers. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think what's important that what we provided was a framework, right, and a way of looking at it, um, and and we did. Already add different stories. So, like when we added a section about product-led growth, we really mm-hmm. l- relied upon Jay Fulcher, the CEO of Zenefits. Mm-hmm. You know, a big portion of his business is product-led growth. And he's a hardcore sales guy at heart. And so <laughs> right. he's like a born-again go-to-market person that's really, you know, gone from hardcore sales to product-led <laughs> growth. You Let's know, grow. yeah. and so getting his perspective. Um, We really talked about the importance of getting customer perspectives. And so Mm -hmm. instead of Bob and I just espousing it more, we actually interviewed two customers, you know, that like being first customers to sort of give you their perspective and why they became first customers. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we want to do is to add more stories and encourage people to add to it to just sort of help the community in general. Excellent. And and so, I think what we did though is we've provided a framework and uh and the icon, the surfing unicorn.
1: <laughs> I like the surfing unicorn. So if people want to find more about Unlock, where should they go?
0: Just survivalthrival.com and it's free. It's right there
1: as Unlock. Right. Yeah. Yeah, survival dot com, um, and that's where your podcast is as well, right? Yes. It is. Yes, thank you. So Tell us a little bit about podcasts.
0: You know, the, the podcast is just a way that uh, we can amplify the content, mm-hmm. whether we uh, uh, do the podcast amongst ourselves or we interview uh, different people. So mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned to you the importance of first customers. We added two right. stories uh, uh, and we're going to interview both and provide them as podcast as well, too.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, Tahit, thank you very much.
0: Well, I really appreciate this opportunity uh, to participate and talk about it. I enjoy
1: talking about this. Yeah, obviously. And uh, yeah, I just tell people listening, is, is go to unlocksurvival It's a great resource. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Tehi Nam, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.